Welcome to episode 220 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Jesse, how are you, my brother? <laughs> there was no hey brother there. I saw you took a breath. I know, I, 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 I like pivoted at the last minute. There was a moment of pregnant pause, and yeah. then you called an audible. I did. I was like, I'm going to do something different. It's 2019. Let's just jam it into gear. It's not 2019. You want to run that back real quick? It's like my brain went in reverse. <laughs> this is what happens when our, pre, our pre-game conference messes with my head. Well, so everybody should know, in fairness to you, we were just talking about how the 219th episode was 2020 hindsight and how there was just weird combination of numbers there. And so we were just talking about that. So lest yes. anybody think that for some reason you actually believe it's 2019. Yeah. You're- also, I smell toast, something strange. <laughs> it's like a running joke over midwinter, no reason, was smelling toast and having a stroke. That's what a weird. True. What a weird joke. Yeah, not our finest moments, but no. everybody's fine. Everybody's, everybody's fine. fine. Nobody that we're aware of in our immediate circle had a stroke over Everybody's break. fine. Yes. It's all good. Well, let's get to some affirmations and denials. You want to start? Yeah, let's do it. So I'm I'm uh, affirming a audiobook, or I suppose you could read it in print if you really wanted to, but I'm uh, currently <laughs> listening to uh, a book by Senator, who I actually just found out also has a doctorate. So which comes first, Senator or Doctor? It'd be like the honorable Dr. Senator Benjamin Sass, the third, I don't know, not the third, probably. Is it a PhD or is it a doctorate? I think it's a PhD. What's it in? He made reference to it in in the book I'm about to recommend that he did a doctoral thesis. Maybe maybe he's ABD, I don't know, but he uh, did a doctoral dissertation or something on religious history. So he's like a historical theology guy. Wow. Yeah. But anyways, I'm recommending a book that actually came out a while ago. It's not a new book. Uh, It's new to me, but um, it's called The Vanishing American Adult. And the main thesis of uh, the Honorable Dr. Reverend whatever Sass's uh, book is... Yes, Esquire. Uh, The thesis of the book is basically that we have created a context where basically everybody is just perpetually an adolescent. Um, and the, the, there's an entire generation of, of people who are now becoming adults or are adults who aren't actually adults. And so he, he starts out the book kind of demonstrating historically and, and culturally and sociologically that this is true. And then the back half of the book is kind of like his prescription uh, of kind of how do we fix this? Like how, how do the current parents imbibe into or imbue into their kids the the qualities and the characteristics and the uh, values that are required to really form them into fully functional adults so it's an excellent book and as somebody who's kind of in that demographic of people he's talking about i think i'm a reasonably well-adjusted adult but there are certainly things in in this book that he points out that i can see in myself um that uh it's kind of an eye-opener. So check it out. It's called The Vanishing American Adult. It's by Ben Sass. Uh, it's just really good. And he reads it himself. And I'm I, we've talked about this in the past. I'm partial to audiobooks where the author reads the book themselves. Right. Because they they 
for the most part, are the only people who knew exactly what they were thinking. The intonation is always going to be right. Um, and they know the they know the material, obviously, because they just wrote a book on it. So check it out. It's great. Uh, you can get it pretty cheap on Audible or if you want to buy a copy on Amazon, it's it's easy to come by. Look at us. Full service affirmations. Books I of know. all kinds. I know. So what about you? What are you affirming? I think that we might have to begin a little segment that I want to tentatively throw out to you called the Reform Brotherhood Kitchen Corner, because my affirmation is doing more exploratory and fun things in your kitchen. And I think everybody does this to some extent or another. Sometimes it's just you find a new recipe or a new spice and you just add that thing or you get a crock pot or you get a blender and then you go to town with, you know, making all kinds of new things that accompany that particular accoutrement. So specifically, as you know, my wife uh, got me a gift, which was some material, some sup, um, some supplies. I was going to say supplements, but that's not the right word for making fermented food. So I'm affirming, just trying new things in the kitchen. And by way of example, if I can be, I just put together before we, we sat down a jar of homemade spicy sauerkraut, which is as we speak, brining in its own juices and hopefully will grow up and brew to be delicious. Nice. Hashtag not a nutritionist. <laughs> That's so, true. I mean, we are a top 50 healthcare podcast. That's uh, also I true. I feel like we probably have the market on uh, weather podcasts, and now we're going to be like a culinary podcast. So we're just market dominance all across the board. Yeah, I agree. Why stay in one lane when you can so easily dominate five or six? But I bring that up because I'll try to keep everybody posted. I'll let you know how it turns out. It's supposedly three days to three months. You just let it chill, and then you sample it, and... So, but it's just fun to try new things with food, and especially right now with everything that's going on in the world, a lot of us are finding that we need to do a lot more of our own cooking. So I know that if you're the kind of person like I am that thinks like, I really can't make stuff, I've, I'm finding that like, that's my own ceiling that I impose. So there's so much stuff that you can get, so many wonderful books, so many wonderful blogs. And actually the book that I got that I'll affirm as a kind of final parting gift to everybody is called... Wild Fermentation by Sander Elix Katz. Apparently, this is a famous book. It's, and it makes everything super approachable. Basically, you just like throw vegetables in jars with the right equipment and wait for them to do awesome things because God wants everything to ferment. That's how he made it. Yes. And then it will become super delicious and you can do your own thing. So, But pick up his book, Try New Things, Kitchen Corner, Reform Brotherhood yeah. style. Nice. You know, it strikes me, and maybe I'm going to ruin everything for you, but it strikes me that you've told me before that fermentation is basically just like pre-digestion. So basically <laughs> what you're true. doing is you're you're allowing bacteria to treat you like a baby bird. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's like a baby bird. It's like a mother bird chews up your food for you and spits it in your mouth. That's what you're doing in your kitchen yes. right now. There's like a, a horrific SNL <laughs> skit. Have you seen that? Where no, they do that? No. Oh, I think it's Will Ferrell's in it. It is horrific. That like, seems like I, I something Will Ferrell would be involved in. I didn't even find it funny. It might not be Will Ferrell. Somebody's going to call me out on that and and get it right. But That's it, fine. It's definitely, I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying I saw it once like in passing and I was like, oh my word. Like I really had to be like, <laughs> that's not even funny to me. Like yeah. people chewing food and putting it in somebody else's mouth. And like now in particular... Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of bits so and gags that involve spitting or coughing or sneezing in people's faces that just they don't play anymore. 
They don't. That did not age well. But I saw a picture of a big gathering from several years ago that I was at, and I actually felt anxious, like just looking at the picture. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. So That's crazy. All that to say, you're right, and I'll keep everybody posted. I'll let you know how it turns out. Nice. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a fan of fermented fruit, uh, food, fruit, whatever. Uh, you kept trying to get me to try kimchi, and I'm not into it. So. <laughs> You'll have to just describe it to me in vivid One day. detail. Beer is that gateway. I mean, it's That's that true. is the open door. It's yeah. open just a crack. That's it's true. It's open just a crack. So, it's true. Somebody who understands all the benefits of, let's say, like fermented foods, uh, like bioculture, all that stuff, they should call and leave a voicemail and explain it to us in more articulate and eloquent ways. Because again, we are not doctors. I feel like there's a podcast waiting to happen in this. Like we've got distilling theology, right? <laughs> we need to have like fermented biblical studies. Well, here's the thing. I don't want to get all spiritual, but we're going to because it's our podcast. Yeah, sure. And that's kind of what we do. One of the many lanes in which we travel and dominate. Um, I've often used in teaching or in conversation this idea that really regeneration is like the spiritual equivalent of fermentation. Because obviously, like we talked about, once you ferment something, once it is fundamentally changed, it's still the same thing, but it's also something entirely different. Right. And you and can't, you can't walk that back. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like that's a, a profound and essential change. And yet in so many ways, it's still the same thing. I mean, and it really is a beautiful example, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, I'll, I'll, I'll try some fermented food sometime. Bring some with you next time you're here and okay. I'll... Uh, I'll, I'll make something to your taste. Once I get better at it, we just made yeah. apparently sauerkraut is super easy. Basically just throw cabbage in its own juices, like into a jar with, yeah. you know, like an airlock and stuff. Super, super easy. So, yeah, I think the issue, you know, we're coming up on like minute 25 of a, of a <laughs> fermentation discussion, but I think the issue is that the first time someone actually described a fermented food, it was kimchi. And the way they described it was they said, basically you bury some cabbage in the ground and That's you true. let it rot and then you eat it. And I was like, that sounds like the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my life. Kind of. I, feel like I know it's a bit more far. complicated than that, but yeah. Right. I mean, you're actually preserving it because there's a whole, anyway. Right. Yeah. It, it may have been a language discussion. barrier because it was someone who's, whose first language wasn't English. Uh, so they maybe just didn't have the right word for ferment and maybe rot was like the closest analog they could get to it or something like that. But yeah. Yeah, Were they just, serving it with rice? Was a rice cooker there? It was. Yeah, there's a huge <laughs> Korean population in my seminary, and, and you know we love we love our Korean brothers and sisters at the seminary, but they just didn't. They, I think there may have been a language barrier, but but then it was described as eating rotten buried cabbage, and I was <laughs> yeah, like, you just no don't. Good. Just like you can't walk back fermentation, you can't walk back the yeah. image of of eating rotten like moldy cabbage, which was the image not I that had at in all. My mind. No, and not I know it's not. All. Yeah, not that at all. So let's do some denials, although that was a pretty good one right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not denying kimchi, but apparently I deny kimchi all day long. So I'm just going to deny a new word that entered into the English language yesterday. So we are recording Ooh. on January 4th. Uh, it's probably not the first um, moron who has said this in the, the history of the world, but this was now entered <laughs> oh, into the record. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I am denying... A woman. So I haven't watched the video, so I, I'm going to just speak a little speculatively on the specifics. But every session of Congress or Senate, really any any federal government um, function, is usually opened with some form of prayer. And, and most like most of the time, it's actually 
a, a Christian prayer. Um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's Christian ministers who are doing that. Um, not always, but, but most of the time. And apparently, uh, when the most recent session of Congress was 117th, I think is what it is, uh, opened, um, they, the, the person, I'm not going to say pastor. Cause I think you, you maybe forfeit your title of pastor. It's like automatic, uh, like excommunication when you do stupid stuff like this. Uh, he said, amen. And then said, and a woman. And, and, you know, I don't want to get into like the whole feminist <laughs> the critical race or critical theory well, conversation right now. I mean, it, it is, but it's also not. No, it's just. Yeah. But y- y- there's this movement where like every word that has uh, the three letters M-E-N or M-A-N, that somehow that word is is automatically slanted towards men, which is just a stupid understanding of language. Like that's just not how language works. Exactly. But apparently that's how language works for some, some people. So I I don't know that I need to go further than that. It's, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. So, (laughs) so it's been fun on Twitter that today, because there's been all sorts of lists of new words uh, with this phenomena that are pretty hysterical, which actually in itself is a kind of sexist word, but um, yeah, so I'm just denying a woman, not a space woman, like not a particular <laughs> woman. The new invented stupid word, a woman is what I'm denying. This is a tr- transliterated word, right? Yes. Yeah. Amen is a, a- amen right. is a straight transliterated, exactly. transliterated word from Hebrew into Greek and then into pretty much every language in the world. I mean, most, most languages use a transliterated version of the word uh, in Hebrew. So, so th- obviously etymologically, it's not related to the word man or men. Um, so it's just stupid, but it, it just means it's just a, a statement of agreement. Like it's, it's just an affirmation, ironically, in my denial. It's an affirmation that whatever was just said right. is either true or is a, an aspiration that they wish to be true. Let it be. May it be so. I agree. I mean, it, it's like all of those things in Hebrew. Um, it, it's just, it, yeah, it's just dumb. It's just really, really dumb. Just dumb. That's why I get that it was he tried to convert it into like the female equivalent because all right. the things you left unsaid, which again, I don't want to go into. I just think it's so hilarious because it's like a fundamental misunderstanding of like the word and what it means. It's not yeah. even an English word. So yeah, it's just an adventure. This is an example, quintessential example of, of adventures and missing the point. Yeah. I, I like to think that this guy hears it. Here's it. I think it was a guy. Here's it, it back. Um, and just goes, man, that was stupid. That was just sounds stupid. <laughs> Like I, I, I like to just think he's watching all of the endless Twitter and YouTube videos and just like reconsidering his, the life decisions that brought him to this point. But I mean, not only does he kind of, like you said, create a new word that means nothing, but in creating this new word to provide juxtaposition or the opposite perspective of the word that he thinks he's bringing balance to, he's actually totally sucking all of the meaning out of that word because now people yeah. are going to try to understand it as some like gender specific reference. Right. And it's, that's not at all what it means. Yeah. It's just like coincidentally when it's transliterated, it has those three letters in the English language. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's an incoherent move to try to make on, on all sorts of different levels. And I think we can probably leave it at that. Yeah. Cut to Paul being like, I wrote about this. Romans yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. This is an adventures in Romans one. <laughs> moment where like your your own and i don't say this to be flippant i mean this in like the classic sense of like 
a just a really like foolish stupid person like the stupid move trying to essentially take mastery over language by just like changing it right. to your own own whims that's not how language works that's not how reality works it's just silly folly to think that we can do this i mean maybe i'm imputing things into this guy's motives and maybe he's just trying to be clever and and he's not doing all of that but it it just seems like just just it's like that Michael Jordan gif where it's like, stop, just stop, get some help. That's, that's what I want to say to this person. <laughs> Is it fair to say that's not how any of this works? It's not how any of this works. No, it's, it's not. It's not. Well, let, let me kind of tag onto that as we're ranting because my denial is all about New Year's resolutions. But, and let me be more specific because I, I think people make them and it's fine that they make them. I'm denying against like mostly non-Christians making new res- New Year's resolutions that involve somehow changing themselves. And I've just gotten to the point where I just laugh now because it's just the tea and tulip. It, it's <laughs> You almost want to say, you can't do it. Just stop. It's going to be painful. Whatever. I'm not talking about like if you want to, you know, eat better or you want to lift more or you want to be, you know, have do something to like increase the amount of exercise you do. That's fine. I'm talking about the stuff that's a little bit more like, I'm going to be less selfish. I'm going yeah. to be more considerate. I'm going to stop gossiping. I want to say, yeah, the, the thing is like all those pensions are good. You want that fresh start. Like we talked about last year, last year. Yeah. Last year. And in that last episode, 2019, 2020. Um, <laughs> but those things are just impossible apart from God. So it, it just strikes me, like we said last time, it's so funny because this time of year in the turn of something new, we automatically gravitate toward re- being refreshed, revived, renewed in some way, or having like renewed energy to do something different. Yeah. And I just want to say, stop it. Just stop it. Romans yeah. one again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's ironic because like people will basically say something like, yeah, in 2021, I, I want to be less selfish. And then if you ask them why, they're like, well, I just think it's good for me. Right. And you're like, well, that, that's be a, a fundamentally person. selfish thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't, you can't, I'm going to be less greedy. Well, why? Well, it's probably better for my finances if I have less, uh, yeah. you know, less of a, of a focus on money. And you're like, do you not see, do you not see this? Maybe I've been reading too much Bob Inc. And I'm just like, everybody is so turned in on themselves and collapses. The worldview issues are just so, they're dumb. No, I mean, I think that's for real. And one of the things that I appreciate, one of the many things I appreciate about Jesus is he is like a truth teller about the human condition. Like if you look at any kind of other religious philosophy or worldview, what you get is this weird, like candy coated version of what's happening. Sometimes that's at least manifested in that leader saying, you know, mankind is basically good. Jesus is really the only one that's like, you guys are basically awful. Right. (laughs) And because of that, he's the only one that can provide for us, of course, the... Not that he can explain our malady, but then he can go beyond that and heal that. So I just appreciate that. And it, to be more specific even than that, I think that the Reformed tradition does the best job of then carrying that truth out. So like we're never really too, even when you and I discuss stuff, like I feel like we're never really too far away from that tea and tulip because yeah. we always realize that that anchors us in some degree, no matter how far we think we can go or where we want to go, that everything that we have, anything that's good in us is a representative of our savior of the work that he's done for right. us and in us. Yeah. And so we always come back to that place. I think if we wander too far, we just pick a heresy. So yeah. all this stuff is like, I, you know what I want to say? Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I'm not. I'm not going to go there. Oh, I could rant for another hour on linguistic fallacies and how stupid that is. 
<laughs> but like, isn't that just an example of one of many in our world, like in the reality in which we live, not to be too like esoteric, is not that just another example of absolute truth? Like yeah. absolute oh, truth yeah. does exist. And so you can try to pull yourself away from it, but all you end up doing is falling right in the middle of Romans one, which says, it's not that you disbelieve there's God, you just hate him. And right. we all, we all do apart from yeah. God saving us. Yeah. You can't suppress something that you don't in some way acknowledge exists. Exactly. That's, that's the crux of Romans one. And that's the, that's the, uh, the infuriating thing for the atheist is they, you know, I don't remember who, who it was, but, you know, basically said atheism is, uh, I, I don't believe there's a God, but I hate him. And, and like, that's, right. that's it. Like, I don't, I don't believe that language means anything, but yet I'm going to still modify this word that I, I think has this embedded meaning that I need to overcome. It's just post postmodernism is just, it's just folly. It's, it's all it is. It's, I mean, it's nothing new under the sun. It's the same exactly. nonsense that was going on in the first century and in the fifth century. It's just, it's just coming back around in a different form. And to kind of set up where we're going, the, you know, this is why it's so important, I think, to understand the scriptures, to have some sense of like theological underpinnings with the way in which you think and process the Bible, because at the end of the day, in every generation, there is this fight to make sure that the gospel is presented right. unvarnished and unadulterated yeah. and not suppressed. And that we don't fall victim, as Paul said, to like these just like insane, almost like philosophies yeah. and thinkings and outworkings that are wrong because it's not that they're wrong headed. It's that they're wrong at the root. So we right. want to get to like, what is like the actual, actual root? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, Van Til, uh, for all of some of the strange things that at times he says, his ideas of presuppositional apologetics, it's really so much simpler than people make it out to be. Yes. A lot of times you can just, you can just repeat the philosophy back to itself and see how it collapses in on itself. You know, there's that old joke where someone says there are no absolutes and someone says, are you absolutely sure? Or <laughs> words, you know, post postmodern say words, words have no meaning. <laughs> words have no meanings. Okay. Well, are you going to use words to try to communicate and explain that to me? Like, is, it, is that sentence meaningful? It really is that simple <laughs> that, right. that any philosophy that you can simply just like go really and just repeat what they said and it sounds incoherent. Um, if you can't apply your own philosophy to just the sentence you use to describe it, then obviously it, it doesn't work in real life. And that's really just at the heart of what presuppositional apologetics is, is Christianity is the only coherent worldview. Exactly. And all you need to do is to point that out and d demonstrate it and then get out of the way um, is kind of the fundamentals of presuppositionalism. I mean, it's obviously more complex than that, but um, yeah, and that's, and it all goes back to Romans one, doesn't it? Boom. So before we get into really the heart or the meat or the fermentation of the topic that we're going to talk about tonight, let me pause just briefly to thank someone who responded to our challenge and has supported this rant. And that is Brother Martin, who nice. is a recent donor through Patreon to give us a, a monthly reoccurring gift. And I'm just so thankful for him. Yeah. Uh, we, we, t we said like, we appreciate that so much. And if people are able to give, we really cannot understate how much that helps the podcast to really go forward to make sure yeah. that we can cover everything that's necessary. And people would be surprised all the little miscellaneous expenses that uh, come about apart, come about up as a part man of this struggled with that sentence. That's okay. We're going to get Jesse some uh, like speech therapy with the yeah, funds that is, you're What is that us, like? So. Yeah. Sally, <laughs> Sally sells seashores. 
See, you can't even do it. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. That was pretty good. A peck of pickled gonna... peppers. Peter Piper picked. Yeah, I'm not even going to attempt that. That was yeah, really. You know good. who's really your, your good at that stuff? Are on point. Your mom is really good at that stuff. She can really? say that stuff wicked fast. Usually. Here's the thing that's hilarious about that. If somebody was just like dropping into this, that as, sounds like, like a your episode, mom joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your mom's good at tongue twisters. That sounds terrible if you just have no oh context on it. Oh my god! So thank you to Brother Martin and and all the rest who give to us regularly and we just so appreciate any amount of gift there is no big gift there's no small gift we just appreciate everything that's given yes. so if once again I, I feel like i'm obligated to say by his example if you're interested in giving please just go to the website and you can find yes. that information there but we're just happy for you to sit back now and come along with us on a journey of conversation in theology Yes, that was a great like NPR style. You like that preview? Yeah, I'm loving Stay it. Stay with us. So I'm going to be transparent with our audience. Not that I'm ever not transparent with our audience, but I selected today's uh, episode subject by entering into Google random number between one and one hundred and seven, which is the number of questions in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. <laughs> Uh, because you may notice there's a slightly different energy tonight. Uh, we're recording on a Monday night because Jesse spent all day yesterday traveling back to Pennsylvania. So uh, we didn't have a lot of time to sort of like think things through. Uh, but providentially, and I shouldn't be surprised at this. I don't know why I'm ever surprised that God's providence works out. Providentially, the topic we came up with tonight uh, through this random number generator actually works extremely well following what is usually the most consumer consumer uh, driven portion of the year. And right. so the number that came back was uh, number 79. And so I'm going to read question 79 from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, which is the 10th commandment? And the 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbors. So, so question 79, and we're going to get into the specifics, obviously it's basically saying the 10th commandment is not to covet and, and coming off of Christmas, um, which again, that's, there's whole conversations we've had about man-made holy days, all of that in the backdrop coming off of Christmas where everybody's giving gifts and everybody's receiving gifts. It is so easy to look at the pile of gifts you have or the, the handful of gifts you have, however many you have to look at them and then look at the other person and ignore the gifts you just got and be like, man, I wish I had what they had. So it's really timely to talk about this. Uh, so I'm excited that this is the, the number that Providence gave us that God gave us to talk about uh, on tonight's episode. By the way, let's table that for another time. Super fun game where we do a random number number generator for all the questions. Cause that's yeah. kind of fun. And it's yeah. Right. I mean, anyone who's doing a podcast out there, it's a great way to pick a topic, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a trademark though. So you will owe us royalties if you do it on your show. So many good ideas. So the yes. time. So we're obviously in Exodus 20 and I want to kind of help us frame this a little bit because there's so much about this that seems like really plain. And there's, of course, there's a lot of good truth in here that is very plain. There's also, I think, so much more beyond just like the, the simple expression here. So if we start, just look at the first two verses in Exodus 20. This is basically the preamble setting up everything that's going to happen. And I just want to draw our attention to a couple things. Verse one reads, and God spoke all these words. So first we have like God himself 
giving out everything that Moses is about to record. So there's, as opposed to just, you know, this inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is less explicit. Here we have it being very explicit that God is providing these things. That's the first one. Verse two, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So while I do not have like any kind of advanced degree in the Old Testament, I do know enough to see that in this representation here, you have God like establishing this relationship, which is like typically understood to be like this suzerain vassal covenant. You have a superior king, which is God in this case, against a lesser or a vassal king. And the preamble is establishing here is the reason why we set this covenant. It's not, in other words, I think sometimes with the the covenants and especially with this one, we have this idea that human beings are kind of autonomous and we can kind of sample out or sort out or perceive or interpret these commands the way that we want to. And then we can enact them in the way that's comfortable to us. The whole point of this with that preamble is to say human beings were not created autonomously. You know, we're not free to be a law in and of ourselves. There actually is, it's going to sound crazy for a second, so bear with me. There actually is like a theonomy in this, in the sense that it's theonomous, we're subject to the law of God. Right. And here are, is like the best summation, the boiling down, the distilling of that law of God. And it ends with this idea of not coveting. And it ends, this is one of the few in this list of 10, where you get several examples, right? Right. Like that's a little bit interesting. You get all these examples. And he says, don't covet these things. And then really, it's almost literally for the love of God, don't covet anything. So I want to start off with this idea that like this is, of course, an expression of covenant, but it's all coming out of this idea that God is over us, that he's done all these things for us, that he is the greater here and that we are the lesser. And that should shape and color everything that's in this list, but especially this thing of of, uh, coveting. So you have a covenant coveting. That's like a tongue twister by itself. It is. It is, yeah. And you know, one of the things that's so helpful, um, and I didn't, I mean, I, I know that other traditions, Lutheranism, I mean, other traditions that have catechisms have reflection like this on uh, on the meanings of the, the ten, you know, 10 commandments in terms of, of what they mean and what's required, what's forbidden. So this is not unique to the reform world, but it wasn't until I came into reform theology and kind of into the catechisms and the confessions that I actually found that this was here, that there were these actually like succinct, helpful explanations of what they meant. And it is worth noting just real quick, because I know we do have some Lutheran listeners. We have some uh, listeners from other traditions Um, in the reformed tradition. This is a single commandment in some other traditions. This is actually seen as two commandments where it's um, you know, it's coveting certain things and then not coveting other things. Um, So I don't think that bears any weight, but it's worth saying in case you're looking at a list of commandments and it doesn't match what we have, it's important to note that. And one of the things that I think is really helpful when we look at this is question 80 of the the Westminster shorter says what's required. And so in, in the reform tradition, Every commandment is broken up into a positive requirement of what the commandment, even if it's phrased in the negative, like most of the Ten Commandments are, what that means we are to positively do in terms of things we are obligated to fulfill. And for this one, we're required to uh, have full contentment with our own condition, right? That's a huge ask. That's a really, really big deal. And then it says, with a right and charitable frame of spirit towards our neighbor and all that is his. So it's not just that we had to be satisfied with our lot in life. 
right? We can be satisfied with our lot in life and not necessarily have the right frame of spirit in reference to our neighbor's goods, right? I can look at my neighbor's goods that he earned or he, he obtained in a lawful manner. I mean, lawful under the laws of the land, but also lawful in terms of the laws of God. And if I'm, if I'm even looking at that going, yeah, he lawfully obtained it, but I, but he shouldn't, he shouldn't have that. Why does he have that? Even if I'm content with what I have, it still is a covetous spirit, according to this definition, to look at your neighbor's goods or his property or his family or anything that is his and to have the wrong frame of spirit. And I think that is so much more common right now for a lot of us as Christians, especially as we look at our non-Christian friends and neighbors, you know, the, reflecting on why why do the wicked prosper Reflecting on that goes all the way back to the Psalms. It's it's kind of a perpetual eternal question for 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 believers. But we need to be able to draw the distinction between saying that a person has temporal goods that they uh they obtained in lawful ways. There's nothing wrong with that. And so, you know, this sometimes takes uh takes the form of looking at a pastor, either your pastor or a pastor at another church, and really questioning how they spend their money. Um, that's none of your business, right? I mean, it, it's certainly true that a pastor, anybody can be greedy, can, can be, uh, given to, um, sort of, uh, lavishness, which is not necessarily becoming of a Christian, right. but it's not really up to us to determine whether or not the pastor down the road at the church that has a higher congregation uh, and, and has a bigger budget that, that the way that they've spent their money on the size of their home or the style of car or the clothes that they wear, it's not really up to us uh, to look at that and make those kinds of judgments. Now, that's not to say we can't ask questions about that. Um, it's not to say that we shouldn't be critical and ask critical questions. There was this trend going around on Twitter. Uh, it's probably about probably two years now because it was before COVID, um, where they would find these high pri- high profile mega pastors, and they would they would take photos of them and they would figure out what kind of shoes they were wearing, and then they would kind of post that and indicate how much they spent on their shoes. And I understand it. Yeah, it's kind of like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, the guy from Hillsong has $1,000 shoes. But there's a number of assumptions that we have to make in order to get there. We have to assume that they bought them full price. We have to assume they weren't a gift. We have to assume all sorts of things uh, to get there. And all of that, whether we realize it or not, is a covetous spirit. So I think th- this question is one of those ones, kind of like all the other commandments, right? This is this is not the first commandment, uh, first episode on a commandment that we've done where we kind of have to say like, you're thinking about it all wrong. There's all these facets to what's required in right. this that you haven't even touched on. It's not as simple as don't want your neighbor's stuff. That That's not what the right. commandment is saying. Right. Well, that's like you said, that's what I think the reform tradition, especially as it's kind of exemplified in the catechisms gets right. It's this idea that embedded or impounded in all of the commandments is not just this rule of law that says, don't do this, but there's freedom. This is how you obtain freedom. So when we get to the first one it says, have no other gods before me, that is the freedom to know there is no other God. You don't need to worry about trying to worship or appease other gods or other idols or to bow down or to worry about sacrifice. There is just one God and you are free to worship that one God. And so therefore you don't need to worry about anything else. You can have a singular focus. 
And so you're no longer distracted by what might be tempted. And you know the truth that those things will not be satisfactory. Yeah. And this is the same thing here because it's more than just, of course, saying there's a lot of practical benefits. All of God's law comes with amazing practical benefits. That's just true because God is a good father when he gives us the rules to live by and tells us the truth about how the world exists. If we follow that path, then we will inevitably have a, on average, better blessed life, not because we're obedient and somehow that earns his, you know, merit toward us. None of this is meritorious. It's just that he's telling us the truth about the way the world works. Right. And so I'd rather know about the way the world works for sure and function in that world. And so because of that, what we have here is everything is connected. So the, the first five, which you know, typically kind of bifurcate by saying, well, these are about relationship with God and the last five are about a relationship with others, but you cannot remove or decouple how they're intertwined in both those ways. And so here you have covetedness reflected and connected with like everything that's written, for instance, in like Malachi, because when you covet, you are actually committing theft against God. And that theft is reflected in the fact that he is due thanksgiving and praise. So when we immediately move our focus away from praising him, not just being content, but actually giving thanksgiving to him for everything that we do have, and instead turn our focus to what we do not have, what we're actually doing is committing theft. And so not only is it impractical to say that you will be happy in that situation because you won't be, because your mind will be distracted and focused. You won't be able to appreciate the things that you have. Even beyond that, what you're actually doing is sinning against God who requires from you by way of the reality in which you live and also by command that you be thankful. So there's so much in this that I think we should, instead of looking at it, and not many Christians do, but instead of looking at it as these are like the restrictive minimal commands that are given to me. Right. Instead, I think we should be seeing it as like, it's really just the door and you open it up and there's this like huge theater in front of you, all this freedom to go and to live and to enjoy God and to appreciate him and to have good relationship. It's just like somebody telling you the truth and saying like, no, this is the way it, it is. And if you, if you subscribe to this, it's just going to be much better for you. Right. I, I want to follow that all the time. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things that I think this commandment reveals um, that a lot of times I think it's missed is a lot of times we hear uh, or I do, I have in the past, you kind of hear the idea that, um, you know, there were these commandments and then Jesus actually intensified the commandments by making them not just about the externals, but by turning them in on the heart. You know, he let he who, uh, uh, you know, if you lust after a woman, then you you have committed adultery with her in your heart. And they act as though that somehow is a new thing. But the the 10th commandment actually demonstrates that the inward disposition of the heart was in view in the commandments all the time. Absolutely. And so, so even in this one, you know, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Well, that's explicitly there. But really all that is, is it's taking the commandment and the prohibition against adultery, which is a command for chastity, and it's revealing that the disposition of the heart was already in view throughout all the Ten Commandments. And so I love that about the way that the Westminster Catechism explains this, is they're talking about not only a charitable frame of spirit towards your neighbor, which again means that you you need to assume the best of your neighbor unless you have good reason to think otherwise. Um, when that pastor down the road rolls up in a new car 
and you are like, man, I can't believe you bought a new car. Like you're not having a charitable frame of, of spirit. You're not assuming the best. You're not thinking he's worked hard. He's earned his money and he's spent it in a lawful way. And I trust that he has fulfilled all of his financial commitments and that he's being generous and that he's, he's wisely stewarding the money that God has given him. What you're assuming is he's got something that I don't think he should. I think he's probably got that in some illicit way. He probably could have given more money. He could have been more frugal. You have no idea, right? right? So, but on the flip side of that in question uh, 81, and it talks about the things that are prohibited or forbidden in the 10th commandment, it says it forbids all discontentment with your own estate. So even if you take everyone else out of the picture, you don't have to have anyone outside of yourself to, to covet. And that, that I think is one of those things that when we think about coveting, the simple definition is almost always like, and because of the way the commandment is phrased, it's looking at what someone else has and wanting it for yourself. But, but the heart of the commandment is about contentment with your own estate. It's about feeling as though you can rest secured and assured that God has given you exactly what he intended to give you, that the sovereign right. Lord of the universe has provided for you what he has intended to and what you need in order to accomplish the things he has given you. And that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, right? In the West, in, in the modern world, like it, it's, it's so silly for me to talk about not being content with my own estate. I have a, even in, even in COVID, even when we're, we're more or less locked up in our house, I can get a pizza from four different places within, you know, within driving distance of my house for a relatively small amount of money. And that, that to think about feeling like I'm not content with that is almost laughable, but where it becomes a really hard pill to swallow is when you think about people who don't have those luxuries and those blessings, and they are feeling a, a lack or a want or a need that goes unfulfilled. That's where this really rests home for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a wonderful, profound, yet simple truth it's in so many ways the 10th commandment is a summation of so many of the ones that have preceded it. It's putting all of that. It's throwing a little shoe leather on it and saying, well, here's, you know, if you love God, you don't need to worry about your neighbor's house. You're not going to be judgmental about their wife. You're not going to be looking at their staff and thinking, I wish I worked with somebody like that or had somebody like that to help me, or I wish I had their car. Um, and I had a super sweet point and now I just totally lost it because I was just looking at the text again and just nice. <laughs> trying to translate all this into like modern like equivalents. But you know, one of the things that strikes me about this is based on what you just said is this idea that when we approach this, uh, Jesus is always after our hearts. God is always after our hearts. And there's so much here that he's commanding the people. It's still like, it's still like baby speak in many ways. It's kind yeah. of like, because, you know, right. This passage ends with the people saying they saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and they were scared of their minds. They said to Moses, like, we don't want to interact with this God. Right. You come and be the intermediary for us, which is its own beautiful and profound thing there right. saying that we're always looking for that person to, again, like Job said to put who can come and grab my shoulder and grab the shoulder of God, so to speak, and bring us together in, in some kind of harmony where we can actually speak as friends without my fear that he's going to destroy me. And so here, of course, we have, even in Moses, of course, like all that beautiful stuff about Jesus coming about. Um, but it strikes me that this is the eat your broccoli. Right. And it's, it's the like, why? Because I told you so. It's like the people here are so stiff necked and we are just like them that we, unless we take the time to really digest what's being said here, this pun is getting out of control. Yeah. Then like, 
we're we're going to fall prey to this idea that it's mainly about well, I shouldn't look at my neighbor's stuff and wish that I have it. Yeah, that's like the minimal requirement, right? Right. It's so much more than that. It's it's getting yourself in a mindset like Paul says of being willing to be and able to be content in all circumstances. But it's also like so much more than that. It's it's all about what is our add to when it comes to stuff generally. And it's really, I think, difficult for somebody in the West who has everything they could possibly need to really come to terms with understanding what this means. Because the idea that God is issuing these decrees, these commandments, as the one who is rightfully in control of the other party, it's a covenant, it's a covenant right. relationship, but it's not equal. There's no e- equity here with respect to the parties. God's basically saying, I did everything already and you right. basically owe me. Right. And so this is the way in which we're to behave properly, given the relationship that you have with me. And it's just, this is just a really hard thing. All the commandments are hard, honestly. And I think we've talked about that. So it's like this Holy Spirit, we need to be praying, continually asking the Holy Spirit to enliven and enlighten us as we look toward these words and try to understand what it means in the heart place, like in that, I'm this is getting super weird, but like in the inner place, you know what I'm talking about? Right. Like in that space between the heart and the mind where nobody knows exactly what we're thinking and we can hide our actions or the reasons for our actions. That's the space that God is after. And you're right because it was all in view all along. It was almost just like, of course, Jesus comes along and says like these 10 things that God, the father gave to you. Do you really need me to explain them in greater detail? Because right. clearly you miss the point. Yeah. So let's get after what is like the the heart or the spirit behind the precept. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the other thing about the, the Ten Commandments as a whole, I think that they are often so misunderstood and so misapplied. And I think this is a particularly kind of egregious example of this is that we we the first thing we do is we boil it down to like this super simple, easy to understand action that only covers like a really specific circumstance. You're not allowed to look at your neighbor's stuff and say, I want that. Like that's, that's how it gets communicated and boiled down. I think a lot of times. Um, but in reality, it's so much more complex than that because, you know, if you go on in the, the catechism here, it says, um, you know, you're, you're not allowed to envy or grieve at the good of our neighbor. So you're not allowed, you're not allowed to look at your neighbor who has a good thing happen to them and not be satisfied with that good thing that happened to them. So, so when you're at work and you apply for a promotion and the guy in the next cubicle gets it instead, you're not allowed to be upset with that person or that that person had this good thing happen to them. Now you may be able to, there there are certainly situations where that is unjust. I don't want to discredit those, you know, somebody gets a promotion they shouldn't have. That's why this next clause I'll talk about is important, but by and large, when someone else has a benefit, a beneficial thing to them, you're supposed to rejoice in the fact that they've been blessed with something. Um, you know, when when even the unbeliever experiences some sort of common grace blessing, we're supposed to desire the good for our neighbor. We're supposed to desire and, and and encourage the benefit and growth of our neighbor. And so when we take an opportunity to, instead of praising God and saying, God, thank you that you've been glorious and that you've been gracious and that you've, you've blessed this person uh, and, and let this be an opportunity for them to see your grace and your mercy and come to a saving knowledge of you. Instead of that, when we get upset because something nice happened to somebody we don't like, we're being covetous, whether we want that right. thing or not. And then this is the next clause of, of the little section here. It says, 
and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. And those are two really important terms. Inordinate governs both motions and affections. So motions would be typically would be things that you do. Uh, and affections would be things that you feel. So if I look at my neighbor, he just got a sweet new car and I go, man, I love that car. I would love to have that car. If I'm not taking inordinate motions or inordinate affections towards that thing, that's not coveting. So th this is where it gets so weird is the common understanding of just looking at what your neighbor has and desiring it, that that's what coveting is. It's actually deeper than that in the heart. But then also it's okay to look at your neighbor's stuff or his, his situation and recognize that it's good and have a desire for it. When right. someone, you know, gets a promotion at work, it's okay to go, you know, I really, I really wish I could get a promotion at work as long as you're not doing that in an inordinate way. And what that means, and this is all governed by this, if you are overcome with desire for that, if you're basically lusting after what your neighbor has, that's not okay. If you're upset because your neighbor has it and you want it for yourself instead, that's not okay. If you're, you're plotting in your heart how you can take it from them so that they don't have it anymore, that's not okay. But if you're simply looking at a good situation, you know, I, I used to think about this a little bit when I, when I was single and, and I haven't talked much about it, but I was single for, I've been single. I've only had like three significant relationships in my entire life romantically. And one of them is your sister who I'm married to. And, and it was like seven or eight years, uh, from the, the last girlfriend I had before I met your sister. And I just didn't date anybody. And it wasn't cause I didn't want to, I just didn't really have any luck with girls. And I remember thinking during those times, you know, that was right during that stage of life. You know, I was like 22, 23 years old where all of my friends were getting married. They, all of them were getting married. I was in eight weddings in one summer at one point. And I remember looking at that and thinking, man, I'd really like to get married. And I remember feeling guilty because I was looking at what my friends had. I was wanting it for myself. And I felt guilty because I felt like I was coveting. And I look at this and I'm like, am I coveting my neighbor's wife? Well, not directly, but am I coveting my neighbor's marriedness? Well, in my mind then I was saying, yes, of course I am because they have something and I want that thing. But it wasn't coveting if I was looking at a good thing and wanting to have that good thing as well. Um, so I think we have to be really careful when we talk about some of these kinds of uh, Ten Commandment issues, and we we try to boil them down to really simplistic understandings. I think we miss, a lot of times we miss the robustness of what God is actually commanding and forbidding us to do. But then on the flip side, a lot of times we end up applying these things to things that they don't really apply to at all. Right. I mean, of course we like simple directions, but like to be able to check the box and say, we did the thing that was asked of us. And I think with all of these, one of the best things that we can do is not just read the commandment, but then immediately after ask, why is God requiring this from us? When you get to the why, then it starts to open up this deeper sensibility about what he's asking for. And that's why I've tried to read them. And we talked about this before. This is like a wonderful place to do a lot of meditation, to read one and pray through it. And I know that Martin Luther was a fan of this in particular, and he, I think, focused a lot of his own time of confession around these Ten Commandments, yeah. where he would use this as a springboard for analyzing and searching in his life. And there's so much, I think, when we start to pray like that, we start with the surface level stuff, and then we find that God pulls us by the power of the Spirit in deeper into that place where we don't often like to go. And I just think there's so much here. I see these as like the hallmark and the pathway to freedom and liberty. That yeah. These things, we always talk about, we say in cliche, but cliches are true. That's why they become that way. That everybody needs boundaries. Actually, everybody wants boundaries. That that is actually the very thing that helps us to be more human. That, you know, God is addressing the human condition here. 
And so what he's basically saying is I am the great physician. I understand the heart and that I understand the cancer that can grow within the heart. And so I want to address that very forthrightly and give you a way to promote and to excel in freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. I was just listening before we started this while I was doing this uh, great, amazing sauerkraut experiment. Also listening to some amazing hardcore music. And this lyric hit me that I haven't paid attention to before. This is from, uh, it was Phineas, somewhere on their album, Dark Flag. But the lyric is that... um, freedom. No, I think it was free will, actually. Free will is a death sentence. And I was just really kind of thinking on that. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I think he's right. It yeah. is a death sentence. Like, And what God is doing in the commandments is saving us from that death sentence, not saving us in like the grand salvific sense. He's saving us from ourselves. Yeah. But that act is so kind and so rich and so deep that we can spend a whole 40 minutes here talking about a single commandment and not even come close to exhausting all that's required of us. And what's required of us is for our own good and for his glory. And it's just like, I think the commandments are such an amazing kindness of God. And what we've done instead of we've turned them into in many ways, like this laundry list that we politicize and we debate and we want to spend more time focusing on like where it can be published and set up publicly as opposed to whether or not we have published it in our hearts and really gone to town with identifying what it requires of us so that we might live a life of abundance as opposed to just saying, well, I'm going to use this as like a precursor to judge other people. I'm going to use it as a weapon against others instead of saying like, no, 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 this is my path to freedom because God loves me. Yeah. And that's why he gave this to me. Yeah. Well, I think that you're, you're spot on and you know, it's funny. I'm not sure. Maybe you're referencing this. Maybe, maybe we're going to have one of those moments where just on the same page and maybe you're not. One of the most influential sermon series that I've ever listened to um, in my own personal life and piety was a sermon series by Alistair Begg. Um, and I don't listen to Truth For Life much anymore just because I don't have as much like podcasting time as I used to. But he did a series on the Ten Commandments called Pathway to Freedom. And he does, yeah, I think it's like 11 or 12. He has two two parts on the Sabbath. But the idea is exactly what you're saying is that within the the boundaries of these of these restrictions within within the the guidelines of these restrictions is the the good life this is the good life this is the free yeah, life that's, that's um, well said and, and so so we rather than look at these restrictions as um as something that kind of like hinders us um you know it's it's funny because the reformed tradition sometimes gets this uh reputation of being legalistic but right. in reality, when we reflect on the, the law and we reflect on the use of the law for Christians, the distinctive way that God intends for Christians to use the law, it really is exactly that. It's the pathway that we walk in order to become more like Jesus. And, and when you think of it and phrase it that way, I don't know anybody that would look at it and go, yeah, it's legalistic to want to be like Jesus. But at the same time, a lot of times when we focus on discussions about the Ten Commandments and what do they mean? What what are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? In some ways, those discussions can miss the point when we get so bogged down in the nitty gritty of the specifics of, you know, can I, can I stop and get milk 
on the way home from church because my refrigerator broke last night and I know that my the milk in my refrigerator is spoiled. Can I stop at the gas station and fill up my car on a Sunday? Like that that's important. Those are, you know, we can have those discussions and it's worth reflecting on those. But if that's the furthest that we ever go in those conversations is what what's the what's the bullet pointed list of what I can and can't do? Right. We've missed the point entirely because the purpose of the law for the Christian, we're talking distinctly for the person who already trusts in Jesus Christ, who already recognizes their sin, who's already repented, who's already on the, on the pathway to sanctification. The purpose of the law in its fundamental level is to give us an image of what the perfect righteous servant is and who he was right. and how, how our life can best reflect that. When I, when I look at what my neighbor has, and even though I don't have it, I can rejoice in his happiness and his enjoyment of God's good gift. That is Jesus. That's that's what Jesus does. You know, when when I when I look at my own estate and I recognize that even though I don't have all of the material goods that I want, and maybe maybe I actually am in a state of poverty, but I can look at it and say, This is the lot that God has given me right? It is well with my soul, right? We get that great Horatio Spofford song. That is the core of what it means not to covet, to be satisfied with the lot that God has given you, to praise him for what he's given you, to praise him for the things he's withheld from you. Like that's, that's something that I'm learning is when I have something that I want and for whatever reason, it doesn't come my way, um, or I can't obtain it to be able to praise God and say, praise you for your wisdom. I don't understand why, but I know that it's wise that you've seen fit not to give this to me. So praise you for not giving me this thing. That is the core of what we get at here. And I just think we, we really would all do a lot better. You know, we talk about New Year's resolutions and wanting to be a better me. Well, how about instead of trying to be a better me, I just try to look more like Jesus. And the way we do that is by looking at and understanding and doing our best to fulfill and follow the law and to trust the Holy Spirit to transform us in light of that and to empower us to do it. Yeah, that's great. I totally agree with that. I didn't even know that. I'm not familiar with that Alistair series, so maybe I'm like inadvertently borrowing from him. So now maybe. I'm going to go back and try to find that because it sounds exceptional. But that's very good. Yeah, what you said was right where my heart was at on that. It's this idea of that, you know, the servant of God isn't a servant of God because he or she exemplifies outwardly all these 10 things. That's going to look great on paper. The resume will look awesome. And perhaps in a public place, you'll be like, look at that person. They're super pious. Yeah. What God obviously is after is everything else that's underneath the hood, so to speak, the entire attitude, your focus, how you're processing all this stuff. That's the harder thing. And so I have to think like, there's so much irony here. I wish we had time to unpack. Like, it's just, I can't get over the irony of like, you know, mankind always wanting to be better, thinking that they are good, thinking there's something they can do if they just put forth enough effort where all the time God is saying, no, 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 no. It's what you need is me. Like I, that is what is brings about the abundant life. It's the same thing here. This profound misunderstanding of Christians arguing over, well, I do this better or I honor the Sabbath in a way that's a little bit more restrictive than you. And so therefore that probably means that I'm more holy. Whereas what we're saying here is you, we just need to ask why, if we start asking why God says, do not covet. And then in the answering of the why that's where we embrace the command and undertake everything that the why requires of us. Everything else is easy after that point, because the why is the hard thing. So if God, we allow God to basically, cause like we've talked about this, the commandments have the hard edge. It's the anvil. And then God basically puts us on the anvil of the commandments and hammers us out while we ask, why is it that you required this of us, God? Yeah. But that's the real work. That is the good work. 
And that is the thing that actually shapes us yeah. into the image of his son. So it's just like a continual challenge. Like this is just one of those, one of many hard things that God requires. And like we said before, the job of the Christian is simultaneously run after God and seek his effort and also try harder. But the right. trying harder is in the seeking after God right. to give you the strength, the discernment, and the ability to follow after the law as it's required. Yeah. God is holy. He says that explicitly in the scriptures all over. And then it floors me that he says, be holy as I am holy. Yeah. Like, how can we even do that? Except if we would fall on our knees and say, God, you must be the one that to lift me up so I might follow this law. And yet I know in the following of it, I will have an abundant life. And in this case, we often get focused on the covetousness with respect to the finances or the physical blessings. You know, all that's impounded in there. And it's, it's certainly true. But all the more it's that way. I think what God is saying to us is let me be your treasure. Yes. Let me be the thing that satisfies you because I am more than enough. And for us in the West, it's just so hard to wrap our brains around that. But what God is forcing us to do is, is basically to say, can you be okay with that reality? Yeah. Will you be okay with that reality? And yeah. um, I always think of, you know, Paul saying, talking about like the bit in the bridle. And I've said before in, the, on our, in our conversations, I just don't want to be a bit in bridle Christian. I, I am, there's always a part of me, honestly, to be totally candid, that's afraid that um, if I don't work to process these things and understand the true heart of the Father and why he's saying, do not covet, it's possible, maybe not probable, but certainly possible within his, his uh, I guess, opportunity to take things away from me, to bridle me so that I come under the purview of these commandments in a way that's not volitional because I have chosen to be obstinate. So yeah. I, I, we really need to examine these things because yeah. it, it's, it really is for our good and for God's glory. Yeah. Well, I think that just about does it for tonight, Jesse. You know, I, I think you're absolutely right that we just need to get after it, but we have to recognize, <laughs> I mean, we have to recognize that getting after it only works if the Holy Spirit is the one who's empowering. Yeah, it. for sure. And, right. and so I hope that this has been an encouragement to our listeners. It's been an encouragement to me, um, you know, just thinking about like what it is to think deep thoughts about what God requires of us, because those things that God requires of us reveal our savior and what, what they do. it is yes. to be like our Savior. Yes, that's, so, that's well said. So I'm excited because it, it, going into a new year, not that not that January 1st has any power or efficacy. It's just a date on a calendar. It's totally arbitrary. But going into a new year and, and sort of looking at things and saying, like, let's, let's think a little bit about new starts. Going into that with this idea that, like, we, we need to understand what God requires and we need to strive after it because that's where that's where we look like Jesus. I think that's a good way for us to start 2021. They get the year right that time, 2021. Yeah, that was great. Good. That was right on. Perfect. And another good way to start the year is we're trying to collect some really nice, succinct voicemail questions yes. for upcoming question casts. So yes. it's a new year, turn it over. So call us, leave a voicemail. You know you want to. If you've gotten this far, you might as well just end the podcast, pick up your phone and dial that number, which Tony, what is that number? <laughs> 607-444-2767. Bros. Bros. If you can just get the exchange and the area code, it's just bros from there on yeah. after. Although I can't even remember the number myself. So yeah. say say it again, if you don't mind. 607-444-2767. 
Now say it if you were an NPR host and you were trying to fundraise. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I could do I it. Really, I really thought you would comply with that. No, I, you put me on the spot. I can't get my NPR voice on without a little bit of preparation. What, what do you do to prepare the NPR voice? I don't know. Gargle some milk and, I don't know, get real, get real quiet. Please oh, that call. was nice. You can support us by please dialing 607-444-2767. Made Bruce. possible by viewers and listeners like you. By the Foundation for Foundations for Reform Theology. Yes. Now please enjoy these two jazz songs overlaid on top of each other. <laughs> I'm going to just try to sneak in a, like a Parks and Rec or Office reference good. in every episode and not ever directly, directly reference it, just kind of throw it in there. That was good. We should start this game because you and I have, for instance, in past episodes sneaked in Seinfeld things and people mm-hmm. have actually sent us emails saying, I heard what you did there. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was aware we weren't even trying to play that game, but I love that somebody was like, Oh no, no, no. I will not let that go by without it being acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not as, as big on Seinfeld quotes as I am on the office or parks and rec. Uh, we could probably start getting some, like uh, some Mandalorian references in there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll throw some of those in there and then we'll, I'll start doing some like Marvel references. It's going to be great. Basically everything's fair game people. So, I mean, since the nerd gospel podcast is no longer a thing, I think maybe there's a vacuum for us to fill there. It's, it's very sad. This is the way. All right. This is the way. All right. Well, since this is the way, Jesse, (laughs) this is the way for us to end the podcast (laughs) until next time. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. (laughs) 